This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host... Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm good. Joining us in studio this morning. Unfortunately, the season came to a, an, uh, an earlier than uh, uh, earlier end than we would have anticipated. The ultimate Leafs fan, Mike Wilson. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good morning, guys. Uh, doing well this morning. Still getting over the pain of uh, Game Seven. <laughs> That's but two weeks. We we kind of hoped you'd uh, we kind of hope you'd still be out there, Mike. But, well, uh, so was I. I mean, every time I look on TV and I see those black and gold sweaters, <laughs> on there, my stomach just starts turning. You probably you've been Boston brewed out for yes, again. for a year. Uh, so we're we're thrilled that you're in studio. We're not so thrilled that the Leaf season is done, but it is what it is, and we'll chat about that. And uh, before we get going, I think. Think we'd be remiss if we didn't wish all the mothers out there a happy Mother's Day. So, Absolutely. to all the mothers out there, uh, from everybody here, have a fantastic day. Uh, big game today, biggest game in Raptors history. I think I said that about Game <laughs> Four, didn't I? That yeah, last Sunday did. we had uh, we were talking about Butch and we, last Sunday. Last Sunday things. Last Sunday morning things were pretty bleak, Naz and. Uh, uh, Raptors uh, were uh, were feeling a little bit of heat. Uh, a great, uh, you know, the really gutty win in Game Four, a blowout win in Game Five. We thought the season, we thought the series was under control, and then uh, Game Six happened. The the uh, Sixers took it all back, and now we're what I called the most important game in Raptor history, Game 4 last week. Now we're Game 7, and I guess I'm probably saying the same thing. Uh, guys, uh, give it over to you first, Naz, and then you, Mike, uh, break it down for us tonight. Well, I'm not sure how it's going to pan out, because Game 7s have been uh, not good for Toronto in the past, especially the Leafs. It seems like they've gone the same path as the Leafs. Lose Game 6, and hopefully it's not lose Game 7. But, but the, the Raptors should win tonight. Well, the good news for the Raptors is Kawhi Leonard graduated a number of years ago. So he has a, doesn't have to go to a graduation <laughs> A little shot today. at Vince Carter there. Uh. Well, you know, come on. I mean, could you see Sidney Crosby or Wayne Gretzky or somebody going to a graduation in a game seven? I mean, and, and, and actually looking at his teammates. <laughs> So it's all, oh, only you're fitting. bringing you. You know what? You just you know you you set the day off in a wrong note for me, Mike. So that aside, <laughs> all kidding. Aside. That aside, uh, we don't have to deal with that uh, anymore. Agreed, absolutely. Uh, the good news for the Raptors is that the the Sixers aren't as good a team on the road as they are at home, as we've seen already in this series. And I think that the, the whole key to this is. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, is the key guy. But the thing is, it's that they've got three or four guys chasing him around the court all game. And the uh, the opportunity for the other players is they're going to have to step L- up. Let, like let me did. show you who the key guy is. 
He's on the front page of the Sun Sports. Uh, Kawhi is going to be Kawhi. He's going to have a great game. Well, we know that. But this is the guy who's got to make it happen today. Well, seven has and, to step up. Uh, I'm, I'm, if, you, if you're watching us on, uh, on uh, live video streaming, I'm, I picked up a front page of the Toronto Sun Sports section, and it's got the picture of Kyle Lowry. And he, you know what, to be fair... He's had his ups and downs in this series, and uh, he's got to be better. He uh, he was good, and uh, he was he was great. I think in uh, good, great in Game Five, and good in Game Four. So uh, if if we get if we get the passionate Cal Lowry out there, and and uh, he's he's capable of raising his game, but I I think I think the game doesn't revolve around him because Kawhi's the guy who makes it happen. But you know Lowry's the guy who brings it up the floor. That's for sure. Lowry and, is and he's got he's got to have. A good game. Not a great game, but he's got to have a good game uh, for the Raptors to be successful. Just to let our listeners know where we're going with the show today, um, uh, John Bitto Jr., the guy, the man who brought basketball to Toronto, uh, such an important part of the history, uh, the key figure in the founding of the Toronto Raptors has agreed to join us this morning. We're thrilled about that. Uh, it's going to be great catching up. Uh, with with John Bitov Jr. Shortly after the first break, it was some incredible action in Champions League soccer. And as you know how how big of a football fan I am, the uh, the over the pond type of football. And we got a special guy coming on, uh, Sportsnet personality. Name is Matt. Happens to have the last name of Marchese. Has uh, been doing some great stuff down at Sportsnet. He's a passionate. Liverpool and Champions League guy. We've had him on the show to talk about. I can't think of anybody better to, to talk about the great Liverpool-Barcelona game. Matt Marchese, after the first break. Mike, it wasn't great having your season come to an end. No. But uh, Mike Wilson is the ultimate Leafs fan who's been on the ultimate road trip. He intended every single Toronto Maple Leaf game this year. Great article about your, uh, you know, you've been in the press quite a bit, uh, but a great one in Sportsnet, uh, which sort of recapped it. Uh, there's a question and answer with you, Mike, and I'm just going to ask you very simply, um, uh, 82 games plus playoffs, uh, every single uh, place in the NHL you can visit, the highlight, can you pick out one highlight of of this entire um, I would call it a, a a dream road trip. Uh, tell us. I don't think there's anybody else who's ever done it. So uh, you're in a, you're in very elite company here, Mike. You got an opportunity to see Leafs Nation in every single place in the NHL. Is there one highlight or a couple that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's numerous. I mean, first and foremost, I, you know, this was. A journey that I took that I worked on with, uh, Deb and I talked about this for a number of years about me doing this uh, post retirement. And the idea was to, to explore and find out what it is about this Leaf Nation, why people are so passionate about this hockey club, especially for a team that has not won. So the thing that was pressing to me that I've talked about time and time again is about how far back it goes generationally to, to families and the, the bonding families have had over this team. It's not about the wins and losses. It's about what this has done and bonded families together, sitting around the radio starting back in the 30s and the 40s, listening to the games, moving to TV, moving to fathers taking sons to games. And it's just because it was Toronto, but the team went across the country. So I think the thing that I really discovered on this is how deep that really is rooted in people across the nation and across America also. And again, 
going at, I mean, you know, everybody said to me, you picked the right year to do it because the Leafs were a good team and they're winning. Yeah, of course, that's part of it. But that's not the story. The story is, you know, watching people's faces that maybe see the Maple Leafs play once a year when they come into their town and how excited they are just to go see the team play live. The win is great. It always is. I mean, that, that's a good part about it. But the fact is they're just going there to experience that with their own son or their daughter or their wife or their family to go and watch the game and just to see this hockey club play. What I find incredible, uh, what I find incredible about the passion for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, especially, you, you you know, you watch the games at the ACC and if you go into the ACC, you know, there's all the guys in the suits and, you know, the atmosphere at times isn't the best in there. But you go out in the Maple Leaf Square and there's thousands of young people and young people are passionate about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I wonder why the Leafs really haven't done anything really since 1993. We've had so many barren years in the last 52 years for the Toronto. I mean, we had we had the the Sittler McDonald run in the 70s with Gilmore and Clark and those guys in the early 90s. But other than that, but it's, it's the but, point. So where tra- where where does this passion emanate it, it's, it's, from? It's, it's what I've been describing yeah. to you. It's 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 been passed down from the families. But, it, but a lot of a lot of it isn't passed. I mean, oh, sure I agree. It is. Oh, but, sure but you it look is. at a lot of those kids. You look at a lot of those kids outside in Maple Leaf Square. Thousands of them. Well, where do they get it from? Well, Who takes well, them to their first a lot game? Of, you know, a lot of them are children of of recent it, immigrants. It, so, what's the first thing they do? Back in the fifties, well, the first yeah. th- when the, the immigrants were coming to Canada in the forties and the fifties, and TV became prominent in the fifties. I've had numerous, numerous people tell me the first thing they would do is they'd sit to learn English, and the way they would learn a language was watch TV. And what was the one prominent thing that was on was hockey because they could adjust to the names, and then they would they would associate that with the newspaper when they'd read the newspapers. So obviously sudden these families started becoming passionate about the Maple Leaf team that they're watching. It could have been any team. It just happens you're in the city of Toronto. But who ta- those kids that are sitting in that square, somebody had to put that TV on for them to watch that team play once. Somebody had to take them to a game. Somebody had to take them to a hockey rink to play or an outdoor pond to learn how to skate and put a stick in their hand. That's how I started back in the late 50s and the 60s. It just happened to Maple Leafs for the game on TV Saturday nights. So it started and it's enrooted in families that goes far back. And grandfathers didn't tell the fathers and the sons stories about watching games and about their heroes growing up and who they were on the street. You hear these kids today scoring goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs talking about this is what we did on the street growing up. I was pretending I was whoever, Dave Keon, Dave Frank Mahalovich, or whoever <laughs> it was. And these guys are all telling these same stories. They were Daryl Sittler or they were Doug Gilmore or they were Wendell Clark or whoever they were. You know, now kids are saying there's Sidney Crosby, but it still starts somewhere. So in the city of Toronto, and the far-reaching part of this, is that's what's so tough, tough, great about this. I mean, look at the Chicago uh, Cubs, or look at the Boston Red Sox. They were the lovable losers for almost 100 years each before they won. Those two teams, though, became the lovable, laughable losers that everybody wanted to find a way for them to lose a game. But the one thing they had going for them was they had both had the two most iconic stadiums in all of sports. So they had to draw. I mean, Deb and I, every time we went to Chicago, even though Chicago was a lousy team, we'd make sure we'd go to Wrigley Field to go and sit in that park because it was such an engaging atmosphere. Same with Fenway. Well, Toronto Maple Leafs had Maple Leaf Gardens, but they had this passion that's been passed down. Again, here I go from generation to generation that grandpa told me about this or great grandpa told me about this Maple Leaf team. And that's what it is. And the fact that this team is not winning has nothing to do with it whatsoever. 
if they win, I think now Chicago and Boston, you know, they're just two good teams that spend lots of money to win. <laughs> and now they've become not the laughable losers anymore, but they're trying to make beliefs. I think what happens when they win, this is going to bring a whole new generation of fans more to this team because people love winners. People love to follow winners. And, you know, the guy we have on later on with satellite radio, <laughs> you can now, and the way this thing goes with your phone, yeah. you can be up to date in two seconds. So you can follow this team from anywhere. But that deeply rooted passion that I keep referring to <laughs> that I experienced going across the country is far more reaching than I even expected. And I get emails from people every day of the week about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And when I was walking into these ranks, and even when the Leafs lost, and they lost, and they had the best road record they've had. So I, that's my biggest worry was they were going to have a bad year losing on the road, and I would be blamed for it. But thank God <laughs> they won more games they've won on the road. But it, it didn't matter. The games were secondary. And that's the part that I want to stress to people because that was the most important thing about this journey. Yeah, it's definitely passed down for sure. What was the reaction of the crowd in Game 7 in Boston? Uh, you know, it, it, you know, as obnoxious and drunk and swearing as they usually are for every game. And, and it got overbearing after a while. It was ridiculous. But in that game, even they realized a shot on goal is all it took. So there was a little bit of nervousness, but they were confident. It was still pretty loud. It wasn't quite as loud as it was the previous games. But it was still – they were a little bit nervous too because – but when that third goal went in, the weak third goal to give them the 3-1 lead, you could hear the air come out of the building as a sigh of relief. Okay, we're on our way now. Uh, and they were. Mike, you uh, you managed to watch a lot of Leafs hockey this year. Uh, what advice would you give Babcock and Kyle Dubas for next year? Oh, Putting you on boy. the spot a little, my friend. Well, I, you know, the biggest, the, one of the biggest, well, first off, don't panic. And you can see it away. They're not panicking. The sample size is not coming down to one game or a couple games in the playoffs that didn't go the right way. Look at the bigger picture. As an example, look at the team that just knocked you out. <clears throat> Excuse me. In, in 2011, they won the Stanley Cup. The core of that team is still playing today in 2019. That's what you want to look at. Look at the bigger picture. So the core of players you have here now, just think about how long they're going to be with this organization and make you relevant and make you competitive for the next number of years. That's what I think you want to take away from it. But the biggest lesson learned, and Mike Babcock has always said since the day he walked in the door, do not let your work ethic override or underride your talent. So in other words, just because you're very talented doesn't mean you're going to be successful in the National Hockey League. And what separates the good players from the great players is just that. So as I've said time and time again when I've been interviewed on these type of topics, the thing about these players is these young guys growing up have been the superstar players in their team since they've been six years of age. They played double shifts. They played power play, kill penalties. They built teams around them, and they always had the puck. And they get to the National Hockey League, and all of a sudden you're surrounded by five or 600 guys who are the exact same as you. You've, they've had the puck all their lives too. So the difference is they now have to go and get the puck. And when they learn to separate themselves from the pack and do that, and I could see that progress in kids like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and even Kasper Kapanen by the end of the year, that is the leadership that was shown by John Tavares. And that's what separates him from the pack. And that's why he's been a dominating player for so many years. So do you think the leader should name a captain this year? The leader in the team is John Tavares, hands down. The way he plays that game, I never watched him as much close as I watched him for 89 games this year. This guy never takes a shift off. He plays as hard without the puck as he does with it. His tenacity on the puck and going towards the net is second to none in the National Hockey League. And this guy, he just brings it every game. And look at his face. 
He is so dialed in. I mean, he showed that one clip this year when the puck went in the bench and went right by his head and he even, didn't even turn. He's so focused on what's going on. He's nice. He will smile once the goal goes in the net, but he's, by the time he's back at the bench, he's got that frown on and he's focusing on the next play. You, you talk about leadership and we've got to go to break. I'll leave it at this. Um, John Tavares played hard the entire season. He gets a call and he goes over and says, I'm going to go over and play for my country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that speaks volumes. Uh, totally. It just speaks absolute volumes of the character of this guy. It didn't surprise where, me. Where there's a lot of other guys who uh, probably for injury reasons or they're tired or, you know, they've got to have minor, you know, uh, take some time off. They need a mental break. And I fully understand it. Uh, but John Tavares gets a call, says, yes, I'm going to go over and wear a Team Canada sweater after everything he's been through this year. Wow. It speaks volumes about a man's character. It really but, does. And that's going to filter throughout the dressing room. So the bottom line for Leaf fans, what we have to be excited about is the fact that, look, Kyle Dubas is not, does not take a day off either. This guy is dialed in, and he knows what's going on out there in the hockey world. Look at the young kids they're bringing in t- to the organization through the Marlboros, or the Martys, actually. Look at this Marty team in the third round of the playoffs again. I mean, that speaks, again, to the, to the strength, and these guys are not taking any time off either. So the fact is you've got Callie Rosen, who I thought should have made the team coming out of training camp. Uh, Anders Borgman is another one, I think, who plays with the Nets. You can help them on defense. Sandine is coming along well. Sandine looks really, really good. Lilligran is, is, is stepped back a little bit, but but again, he's only 20 years old, so he's got time to grow, and he's, and defensemen take longer than forwards do to, to mature. Uh, the goaltending problem isn't quite the issue they had before. Uh, now, all of a sudden, they're getting good goaltending at the Marlboro level. Or Marlboro level. I keep calling them the Marlboros. And, <laughs> you know, and Hutchinson, I think, has got to, is in line to take that number two spot next year. Uh, you know, things are looking very up and rosy for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I just think the thing is that you just got to, again, as our old friend Axel Rose used to say, uh, Guns and Roses, you have to have a little patience, <laughs> my friend. And, you know, the first step is in place. Just remember where this team was three years ago. Absolutely. And look at where we are today. So, you know what? Things are looking very up and coming for this team. Let's just stick with the plan. And, and let's, let's just let let's the chips fall where they will. On that positive note, we've got to go to break. When we come back from break, we'll be talking to Matt Marchese. And we'll be talking about some extremely exciting football that's happening on the other side of the pond that's culminating in the Champions League final. Uh, Matt Marchese, right after the break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realized that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian. If you like a sausage, you can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer, and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language, no matter where you are from. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636 or visit pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. 
Steel's paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. If you're listening in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. Live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Uh, Sportsnet, I will call him a Sportsnet personality now, uh, producer of uh, Primetime Sports. Of course, I'm talking to Matt Marchese. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good morning, Wally. I'm good. How about yourself? Good. I have a special guy sitting right next to me. He's got a big smile on his face. Uh, of course, I know you're very familiar with this gentleman, but getting right into it, Matt, you and I and uh, Naz, and uh, we share a passion. We share a passion for what we call over here. We call it soccer. Over in the rest of the world, they call it football, and there's something special that's happening at this time of year. It's the countdown towards the Champions League final, which is one of the great spectacles in the sporting world. And uh, the great, one of, they're calling him the greatest soccer player in history now. Uh, of course, the great Lionel Messi, after his first game uh, performance against Liverpool. And it all came crashing down for Barcelona against a team that you love, which, of course, is Liverpool. And Liverpool came back and scored four goals to beat Barcelona, which is unheard of. Uh, and they're calling it one of the greatest soccer games ever played. Uh, Matt, share your passion for football and tell us tell us what's going on over there. Well, it was. It was coming into the day, you you can never really count out this Liverpool team with Klopp as the manager because they, they score goals in bunches. But coming into to Tuesday, down you know 3-0 on aggregate with no Roberto Firmino, no Mohamed Salah, it, it was looking kind of bleak. Like As a fan, I'm trying to hold out hope, but you're talking about Barcelona, one of the greatest teams in the world. And... I guess being at home was a huge thing for them. I was really worried because they didn't have the away goal. And, and Salah had a really great chance uh, the Wednesday before, late in the game, to score, to make it 3-1, hit the post, and that was it. And and coming into the game, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, they, they have a chance, but all it's going to take is one Barcelona goal, and that'll be the end of this. This run was great, but, you know, with injuries, and, and then people are going to make excuses and whatever. And when they scored, I think it was something like seven minutes in Divock Origi, um, 
put home a, a rebound on Jordan Henderson's shot, you kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is possible. Maybe, maybe they can actually pull this off, at least get three, send it into extra time. And then hopefully, you know, you can maybe get one in extra time using the home crowd advantage. And at the end of the day, they didn't even need it. Matt, uh, the the fourth, I think it was the fourth Liverpool goal, the third, I, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the, the Liverpool player uh, did something very unusual and caught the Barcelona team completely off guard. What happened? So I was, I, I found out that um, Jurgen Klopp has some coaches, and I'm sure other coaches have, our managers have coaches that sit up in the top and are kind of seeing, you know, different formations that the teams are using or whatever and picking up on tendencies. And Klopp's guys upstairs actually called down, and I don't know if it was at halftime or, or whenever, but they told them, listen, when the ball goes out for a corner, Barcelona is very lackadaisical. They're, they're not really paying attention to what's going on. They've got guys kind of all over the place. The keeper comes off his line to kind of direct guys to what's going on. And Trent Alexander-Arnold was aware of this. Kind of walked away from the ball, turned around. And what Liverpool had actually done, which was brilliant, and, and at the end of the day, you're only going to get one chance to do this. They had pushed basically all their players outside the box and left only Origi in the box right around. He was right around the six-yard box, right around there, so that if there's a chance, if there's an opening, you can play that ball in and you get one shot. But they only got one shot. If they tried to do that again in the game, if they didn't capitalize on this one, that would have been it. It was it was brilliant on Alexander Arnold's part, who's become one of the best left uh, right backs in the world. And I know there's some people that don't think I'm crazy, but actually watch him play. He's incredible on on the offense. He's great on the defense. He's great, and he's got so much pace that teams just can't keep up with it. Matt, but, the two injuries that they have are those guys ready to come back. Uh, Mohamed Salah is going to play today in the Premier League uh, finale against Wolves. Uh, Firmino, I don't believe, I, I don't think he made the bench today, but he's going to be ready. And uh, Andy Robertson, who left at halftime, uh, and when you look back on it, thankfully, because Jeannie Vinaldum had two goals in, you know, two or three minutes in the second half to, to tie things up, uh, Robertson will be back as well. So, they're they're healthy except for Nabi Keita, who they got from Leipzig in the off season, um, who was really starting to turn it on. But they're they're as healthy as they can be going up against the Tottenham squad, who expects to have Harry Kane back for the final. Uh, we're talking to Matt Marchese of Sportsnet. Uh, Matt, uh, of course, we're just uh, leading into the final, which is going to be played at uh, in Madrid at the at the Atletico Stadium. It's a brand new stadium. I actually got the opportunity to watch a game there last fall. It's the most incredible stadium on the outskirts of Madrid, uh, and it's an all English final. I can't say that I'm overly thrilled about that, Matt. Given my uh, my beloved uh, Bianco Neri, the my beloved Juve got bounced by Ajax. Uh, um, all English final. They're going to have a lot of crazy English fans coming into Madrid. God help the Madrid locals having to having to control all of that. But uh, shape up the game for us, Tottenham and Liverpool. What uh, what can we look for? I actually thought that going into this that. Ajax is going to be the tougher matchup for Liverpool because they play a similar style. They're very attacking, very pressing, lots of speed. Um, 
Liverpool really hasn't had their problems with Tottenham in the league. But as a fan, I don't want to say that, yeah, this is going to be a really easy one because it's not. It's a Champions League final. It's one game. Liverpool does match up really well because I don't think that Tottenham's uh, wing-backs of Kieran Trippier and and uh, Danny Rose can compete with, with the speed that Mane and Salah have going up and down the wing. In the midfield, it's kind of, it's, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a toss-up, but it's really close. Christian Eriksen's a really good player, a really good playmaker for Tottenham, um, who also looks like he might be on his way out this summer, so maybe he's looking for a little bit of a, of a swan song with, with Spurs. Deli Alley is a guy, he's kind of an enigma. You don't really know what you're going to get game in and game out. And um, you look at that Liverpool team, Fabinho is a guy that they got from Monaco in the offseason, paid a lot of money for him, really struggled out of the gate, and he's become one of the better uh, defensive midfielders in the Premier League. And Virgil van Dijk, I can't say enough about the guy. They spent 70 million pounds on the guy and it, and it looks like a bargain he was premier league player of the year and i expect that if harry kane does play he's going to get a heavy dose of virgil van dyke and if i have to pick between the two guys i'm taking virgil van dyke every day you know in the first game he struggled a little bit against messi in the in the first leg and in the second leg they completely shut them down so i don't know if tottenham has the firepower to keep up with liverpool what they have but I didn't think Tottenham was going to score three goals in the second half last Wednesday, or this past Wednesday and, and come back and beat Ajax after they jumped out to a 2-0 lead at halftime. So we've seen some crazy things. As a fan, I'm, I obviously want them to win. Um, but can I say definitively that they are you know, going to win? No. Do I think they're the better team? Yes. And it, it's evidenced by what you've seen in the Premier League. Liverpool one point off of first place uh, held by Man City going into the final game today. So I would say that Liverpool is a, and and from what I've seen, they're a massive betting favorite, which is not surprising. Uh, But I think, I think Liverpool has to take this. They've, they've been waiting for a Champions League, especially like a a Champions League title, especially after Mm -hmm. last year when Salah got hurt early and they had no answer for Real Madrid losing three, one. So, I think they get some revenge this year, and I'm I'm really hoping, as a fan of so many teams that don't win anything, that <laughs> okay. this year is finally something different. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Matt Marquez. Matt, we've we've got to go to break, but really quickly before we go to break, uh, just to give our listeners a sense of Champions League final. It's it's it really is one of the world's great sporting spectacles, isn't it? It really is, and uh, we were kind of joking about it at work because um, they know how big of a Liverpool fan I am. And one of the guys said, well, why didn't you go for the final? And I said, no, nah, no. I, I said, my wife will let me, but I don't know if we can afford that. And, you know, looking at the, the price of the flight is one thing. And then when I saw the price of the of a ticket, just one, 3,900 euros, um, that kind of tells you how big this thing is. This is, when you talk about Champions League football, you are talking about the best clubs in Europe. And maybe this year is in the world. quite the yeah. yeah, in the world. And in the world, yeah. And you're and when you look at um you look at the teams that aren't in it, Liverpool is one of those teams that has really come along and they're a powerhouse. Tottenham may not be Tottenham may have been last year's Liverpool, where they got the benefit of a couple of easy draws and had to beat some teams along the way that maybe weren't up to snuff, 
and they got in. That's what happened with Liverpool last year. Uh, but it, it is one of the greatest spectacles. It's up there with the Euro Cup final. Uh, you, you can make the argument that Champions League in the final has the best players in the world. Well, it's, act, it's it actually, by the, by the purists, it's considered the best soccer. And, and it, and it, it is because, because you're getting players from all the best of the best on a team. Uh, and some of these, some of these champions, you know, the, the better club teams are probably better than, you know, as good, if not better than the best national teams. Matt, on that note, uh, we're going to thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing your passion uh, with us and uh, for putting a smile on this this guy's face that's sitting right across from me. Thanks. No, pro- no problem, Dad. I'll see you later. And if I don't wish my mother a happy Mother's Day on the air, I'm going to get. Oh, trouble. you're in big so trouble. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, don't even. Yeah, you, you. Good move there, Matt. Good move. Anyways, see you Matt. Later. Thanks so thanks, much for Dad. joining us. Uh, we've got uh, right. We're going to break, and right after the break, we'll be talking to John Bitov Jr. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced their loyalty programme, but some listeners thought I was saying royalty programme. <coughs> to be clear, Pizzaville cannot get you into the royal family. Stop that. However, after your sixth online order, you'll get a large pizza of your choice free with your seventh order, and that'll make you feel like a king or queen. Oh, boy. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We'll be uh, connecting hopefully with John Bitov Jr. very, very shortly. Uh, our producer Sebastian is making every effort to do that. But uh, gentlemen, game seven tonight. Mike, what's your breakdown? Well, tonight for, uh, well, I think the Raptors are going to win, obviously. But um, as we talked about before the break uh, in the first segment, the, the significance of uh, Kawhi Leonard will, will bring it. He is, he's just uh, one of those guys that uh, 
uh, you just can't you take your eyes off him when he's on the court. Like he's just this guy never stops. He's he's the John Tavares of the Toronto Raptors, but he just does not stop. And he's he's everything advertised. Uh, the guy handles himself off the court. I think he's uh, one of those quiet leaders that uh, you know has filtered throughout the dressing room, and you can see the play of the other players when he's on the court. Uh, and you know, again, as you mentioned, if Lowry comes up big, he's here's an opportunity for him at home to really show his wear. And I think, you know, I, I, I just think the guys are going to bring it tonight. Anyways, I'm getting the thumbs up sign from our producer, Sebastian. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, John Bitove Jr. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Hey, listen, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, uh, we appreciate it. It's, uh, of course, um, it's a big game tonight, obviously, for, uh, for Toronto think? Raptors fans. And uh, I couldn't have thought anybody more, uh, especially on Zoomer Radio, uh, John, you were more instrumental in bringing professional basketball to Toronto than anybody. Uh, does tonight's game mean anything special to you? You know, I think, look, I think every game seven, you know, advancing in the playoffs is important to all of us, uh, you know, who follow basketball in Canada. It'd be a great achievement to make the finals, and it'd be even better if we make it all the way to the NBA finals, and even better if we could ever win a championship one day. Uh, so we uh, wanted to take the opportunity, obviously, to uh, to speak to you. Um, um, a while ago, over 20 years ago, you got the idea to bring the uh, Toronto Raptors or expansion franchise to Toronto. Uh, is that – do you always had a passion for basketball, or uh, how did that idea come to you? I did. I, I you know, I, I grew up playing it. I went to York Mills Collegiate, played it uh, there, went to Indiana University. I played football there, but I uh, – Know, basketball was so big it, it really is uh, like religion down there and um but even when i was a kid growing up here i'd go when the buffalo braves would come to toronto for their uh, few games they played at maple leaf gardens i'd head down with my buddies so i was always a basketball fan john thank you for bringing the raptors to toronto by the way you're welcome yeah. <laughs> just, i needed to say that now uh early on in the uh when you owned the team initially uh the there was talk of the team not doing well and wouldn't draw here. What did you see to make make that change? Well, I think you know we always. Uh, I mean, from day one, there 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 was a lot of uh, doubters in terms of you know what it would work, whether it would work. I I I knew it would work. I knew it's a great sport. I knew it's a sport even better life. I think part of what we um, wisely did in the early days was we didn't. I hate saying it to you guys was. Uh, uh, just in terms of uh, Naz and Wally, because we weren't going after white males. We were targeting kids. We were targeting um, women. We were targeting new Canadians uh, in terms of our future fan base. And uh, because we knew at the end of the day the, the Maple Leafs were a cultural institution and still are here, but we had to have a, a different and broader fan base. And they would bring their husbands and fathers and, uh, and business partners to the games. Well, certainly you are ahead of, in that respect, John. Uh, you are ahead of your time, and uh, and you are ahead of your time in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, the Raptors, uh, interesting. Um, Twenty five years later, that name, 
yeah. that was a fan that was a fan ballot if I recall it uh, was um, and there were there were a couple of other I got the opportunity to go look at some of the other names that were in contention I, I would be honest with you John I wasn't originally a big fan of the name Raptors uh, but having looked at some of the other names that are in contention it actually looks pretty good right now but I just want your your reaction when when you found out that the fans had selected Raptors so I, 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 I go ahead I I, I always wanted a um I was leaning towards a, uh, a, a a dinosaur theme, and my personal favorite was always T-Rex. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just thought, you know, it, it, it had a lot of good connotations and what you could do with it. Raptors came up through the voting, and, um, and then when we would we would test market it again with uh, particularly the, the kids, because, you know, licensed merchandise is a big part of the sports game. It, it was just off the charts. They would go, oh, my God, you, you call it that thing, you know, we'll buy everything. And so, again, we weren't targeting at you guys. We were targeting at, you know, a new generation who would be basket, our future basketball fans. Well, John, this is Mike Wilson. Um, I, well, back in that time, if you recall, also, as you're aware, when you're targeting the kids, it, dinosaurs were really the sort of... Oh, it was thing. Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, and it was the thing for kids. I mean, you know, my little guy was, you know, playing, everything was dinosaur this and dinosaur that. And, yeah, so it was big. But I want to take you on another journey down your, your business ventures. I, I worked for a firm called Griffiths McBurney back in the day. And now you're talking about the vision of the basketball team. What about that other little venture you had on the satellite side? <laughs> and you sit here today, and I remember you coming into our office when you guys were all pitching this story around the street and stuff about uh, this new form of entertainment called satellite. And, uh, you know, it, was, it did have its ups and downs. And here you sit today, and you must sit back and have a bit of a chuckle over all of that. Yeah, satellite radio has been a fantastic success in Canada. Um, over three and a half million, you know, subscribers today. Um, again, it was, you know, it was, it was different. A lot of people thought, uh, that, um, you know, it couldn't make it, but I just, uh, thought here's cable TV comes to the car. You could, if you could have over 150 channels, uh, with the crystal clear sound, particularly, you know, while you're driving up North or across the country or whatever, that it would, um, it would resonate. And, and, um, it did. That was a fun one as well. I've, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm blessed. I've had a few fun things in, in my life. Uh, we're talking to John Bitov Jr. John, uh, you were also, uh, you know, uh, the man responsible for bringing professional basketball to Canada. You were also very heavily involved in 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 an Olympics bid in the 2008 games that it, which I believe eventually ended up in Beijing. Uh, you were asked to be uh, to be part of the group that uh, uh, to try and get those games in Toronto. Um, tell us your recollections of that bid. Were those games ever? Was it ever possible for Toronto to? obtain that those particular olympics i know there was some controversy over some comments mel lastman made and uh, you know I've, I've i've listened to the podcast you've made where you explained how you you sort of had a rebellion in the african group but the the, the 2000 olympic games could they ever have been toronto's games and is that a dream that you still carry forward to 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 bring to toronto in the future yeah i'd, I'd love i think toronto would be the greatest olympic host city ever just because of not only our infrastructure and and the venues and what we would bring to it but just uh the volunteerism and the you know we're canadians are unique and especially torontonians and our pride in 
and, you know, assisting and helping out and making sure that we want everyone to have a good time when they come here. I think in terms of your question, did we have a chance? We did have a chance, but, you know, Beijing was the favorite. We, um, we knew that uh, the Olympic Committee wanted to go to China. You just obviously, you pick up a paper today and you realize how important China is in the global economy. And, um, you know, but, but the, for the 2000 Olympics, so going back, you know, the, the games are voted on seven years in advance. Uh, so in 92, 93, everyone thought it was Beijing's as well. And, um, and then they had the Tiananmen Square and, and the games ended up going to Sydney, who did a great Olympics. So we did need, you know, um, things, something to go wrong on, you know, uh, in terms of with their game plan for us to have a really good shot. But I think where the misnomer is in a lot of this is, you know, I, I really didn't want to lead the bid. And it was the three levels of government, you know, uh, Mel Lastman, who was you know, a great mayor at the time in the early days of the megacity. Um, <clears throat> you had uh, Mike Harris was premier and Jean Chrétien was prime minister, and they all asked me to do it. And I said, well, I'm just concerned we're not, you know, we're not going to win. If we can figure out a legacy from all of this, I'm happy to do it. And, and that, that's where we got the Waterfront Trust out of. They said, well, look. Well, we'll, we'll, it ended up being, you know, 500 million from each level of government to, to clean up the waterfront and improve everything down there. They said, well, we'll do this. And if we, as part of the bid, so no matter what, win or lose, we've, we've improved Toronto. And that, that was a big part. It never was talked about. It was a big part of why we did the bid was, was, yeah, we wanted to get the games and no one wanted the games more than me, but also to either way, we, we had a commitment to improve the city and, um, you know, it's not the waterfront yet. We want it to be, but we know how much it's improved in the 20 years. You know, and, uh, since the bid, John, two thousand and fourteen, uh, you were involved with a bid of the for the Buffalo Bills. Do you have any aspirations of going to bringing the NFL to Toronto, and how would it do here? I, I, I just <laughs> any sports team in the city is going to do great. There's something unique about Southern Ontario and our our fan base. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what club. Look how strong you know the TFC have done it. it uh, I'd love to see the NFL here. If, if in any way I can help out and be a part, it'd be it'd be great. I just, um, um, you know, I think that uh, I'm not sure the NFL is going to expand again, or if they do, and how long? Because the TV money is so huge, and dividing it up, this has become the problem now. Um, and the NBA is going to have the same problem with expansion as well. It's just the the national TV money is is so large. Um, to add more people to, you know, more mouths to feed, so to speak, out of that, uh, out of that golden cow is, is, is hard for other owners to want to share. Uh, John Bitov Jr. John, um, you've, uh, you know, it's been a, it's, it's hard to believe it's been so long since the, uh, since the, the Raptors, uh, debuted, uh, it seems like yesterday and you were such an important part of it. And, uh, then you were gone. Uh, then you weren't part of the Raptors anymore. Um, and without, you know, without getting into a detailed uh, uh, going back over the business part of it all, uh, any regrets? Any regrets about how it all ended up about with you and the Raptors? There's, there's no regrets. Of course, I'd love to be involved in sports. Uh, of, of course, I'm, you know, you're here game seven and, and, uh, and how exciting it would be to be in an ownership position and, you know, I think Rogers, Bell, and Tannenbaum have done a, a, a great job, um, you know, with both clubs and uh, and the Air Canada Center now, Scotia Bank Arena, in terms of taking it to the next level. Um, it's just, 
you know, it, when you are on the ownership side, though, it's it's a lot harder to enjoy this stuff. We as fans can sit there and get all nervous tonight whether they're going to win or lose. But when, you know, you got a whole city and a province and a country, you know, banking on you to win, um, when you do, you share in the glory. And when you don't, you take it, you know, a, a million times harder than, being, than, than, than the fan does. So it's uh, you miss it. But when you win, but when you lose, you, you really don't miss it because it's 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 tough. Uh, John, you uh, philanthropy is important to you and your family. You uh, you uh, you have a cause. You fund extracurricular activities in Canadian schools. Tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit about that and uh, how important that project is. Well, it's called School Life Fund, and we've done almost three million dollars to Canadian public schools, not not, not private, from uh, kindergarten to uh, grade eight. I think it's look. I'm 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 a product of the public school system. I think the the extracurricular activities we had in the '70s and '80s and '60s in our school systems were second to none, and and um, it was a very important part of our edu- important part of our educational system. And all these public schools have you know been suffering cutbacks, and it's usually the extracurricular programs where the you know the axe gets taken to first. So. We continually try and raise money, and, and we have a process where we uh, grant public schools funding, whether it's to you know buy soccer jerseys or uh, or put on a school play or um, you know fund some instruments for the band, whatever we can do to um, uh, allow our public school kids to have the same benefits our generation did, and, and ultimately, I think through a lot of these organized uh, extracurricular activities, that's where you you build leadership and teamwork and. Um, it's an important part of our society, and happy to play a part. John, you uh, there's a very special man that uh, that you were named after, John John Beethoven Senior. Um, what's the singular most important lesson you learned from your father? Never give up. He just forever, whatever it was you were doing, if you had a positive attitude, and uh, um, you know, ultimately you would you would succeed, and he. He just uh, exuded um, confidence and, and happiness, and uh, um, you know, in terms of and, and when you're when you're down, it doesn't matter because uh, you know there's a new day and the sun comes up, and it's uh, it's part part of what I miss about not having him around is he was just such a a, a positive influence on all that stuff, and um, he was a he was a great father, great friend, lots of uh, and loved this country um, till the very end. So I was blessed to have a dad like that. John, Thanks for asking. I, no, no, it's, uh, and these are important messages. There's one other, uh, one other interesting story I, I listened to that you that you relayed, and I want our listeners to listen to it. And uh, uh, hopefully, uh, I'd love for my kids to hear this story as well. Is your your dad, of course, was in the hospitality business, uh, some restaurants, and uh, amongst other uh, amongst other things. But uh, the one lesson uh, tell us relayed to us the first day. Uh, you were in summer, I believe. Summer uh, was one, your your first summer job, or one of your first summer jobs, and you got a job in one of your dad's uh, uh, establishments. And uh, tell us about the first day at work. <laughs> I think I think I know what you mean. Yeah. So, I, so something had, about something about peeling grease off yeah, the walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had uh, the, the, there was this the general manager that he had brought up from the states and. Uh, this guy had been over the house a couple times, and I love the guy who's always so friendly with me, everything else. And, you know, summer starts, and my parents were always, you know, we had to work um, all through summer. We, It wasn't, uh, you know, that was part of your education growing up. And so I, um, 
we have the Roy Rogers restaurant at the corner of Young and Bloor. And um, um, so I go, uh, I go, Dad, uh, you know, I'd love to work for Jerry Masters. You want to work for Jerry Masters? Great. <laughs> that, that was this guy's name. And so I show up on the Monday for work and in and, and Jerry's office and he hands me a bucket and a spatula. And uh, I go, what do I do with this? He said, uh, he walks me over to, there was a dumbwaiter because it was Young and Bloor. The real estate was expensive. A dumbwaiter is what goes between the two floors. So to, you know, carry the food up and bring the dirty dishes down to the, to, to clean and whatever. And so I had to stand in the, in the elevator shaft on a ladder um, and scrape with the spatula, scrape these grease off the walls and, uh, and put it in the, um, in the bucket. And I just, I remember like two hours into it, I was, I was bawling my eyes out crying, going like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm the, I'm the owner's son and I shouldn't be doing this, all this stuff. And finish the shift, go, and it was like half done. So I knew I had to go back, you know, on Tuesday and, 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 and do it again. And I go home and I, I can't wait for my dad to get home. I go, dad, I'm not going back to work again. You know, the way he treated me and I'm your son and all that. He goes, you know what, kid? You're going back tomorrow. You're going to finish it, and you're going to show him, you know, that you're bigger than that. That, you know, just because you're my son doesn't mean you're special. And I went back there the next day and finished it. And you know, it was it was a great lesson. It it did in terms of just doesn't matter who you are or what you are. You've you've got to get it done. And sometimes because of what you are, people may, you know, throw more crap at you or whatever else it is. But you just got to keep pursuing. And that that uh, that's the kind of guy my dad was. Uh, we've been talking to John. John, we could uh, we could spend a lot more time with you, but uh, this is live radio, and uh, we're running up against uh, we're running up against a time barrier. So we're going to have to let you go. But I'd love to just say this before we go: there's uh, uh, there's a very special game tonight. Uh, we're all celebrating, uh, hopefully celebrating after tonight, and we move on. But the Raptors have been incredibly successful. They've become one of the NBA's most successful franchises and there's one person's one person's dream probably more than one person but you know you were at the you were at the uh center of it all john Beethoven jr your vision your passion uh has has pr- brought uh so much joy and passion to basketball fans in the toronto area i'd just like to take the opportunity to thank you and uh if i had more time i'd get your advice on the toronto real estate market but we'll ask <laughs> you back we'll ask you back for that one another time john well, thank you guys uh happy mother's day uh, to all the moms out there and uh, and wally i'll tell peter cow you say hello i i would really appreciate that thanks so much john john right, take care guys john bitove jr uh yeah it's hard to believe it's been so much time that uh you know he's such a key part of toronto sports uh and i'm sure he still is uh uh but uh right in the center of so many toronto sports are he was for the so guy long. he was the guy that brought basketball here oh yeah, yeah for I, him. I think he was knocking on uh, david stern's uh office door for so many years and years i don't know what you know about that story mike uh in terms of uh but uh, i remember john being uh in the early 90s uh you know, he 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 just he uh, he did it the right way. It's which is sort of uh, you know he he made quiet overtures and you know just convinced everybody about his passion for basketball, put the right people in play, and managed to convince the NBA. Which I you know, it, looking back at it historically now, it it almost seems like it would have been inevitable anyways. Uh, I'm sure Toronto, what Toronto has become in the last thirty years is you know. A mega city in the NBA, one way or another, would have noticed us uh, and would have put a team here. But John, John was the guy who made it happen, and uh, and God bless him. There was a lot of people that uh, didn't think it would go really. 
That's a true story. Which is hard to believe when you think about it now, now 25 now, yeah. years later. Um, um, you know, we had a basketball team in, in the mid-40s, which was way before our time, the Toronto Huskies. Um, and, you know, Toronto has changed. You know, the face of Toronto has changed significantly in the last 34 years. And the Raptors sort of, you know, as Toronto changed, the Raptors filled uh, filled that market. Mike? Well, Paul Godfrey started it with the Toronto Blue Jays. With the Blue Jays, because yeah. Because he actually had bought the San Francisco Giants, I remember, for $8 million. And they went back to the fathers or the forefathers in San Francisco and actually offered $13 million. And they, are, they sold that, kept it in the city for eight. And then that just got everybody's attention. So I think he was kind of the guy that started it all that made Toronto a market that couldn't be ignored by all the other major sports uh, professional leagues. And I think that paved the way for the basketball, which was going to be inevitable, as you said. It's, it's, in, it's, it's interesting when we brought up the NFL that he didn't think it would happen because of TV. And I never thought of that. But TV money is so important. And it's huge. Even oh, in baseball, it's huge. In, in baseball, in, oh, huge too. You, you know the economics of sports better than anybody, Mike. Uh, well, that's the whole thing. I mean, these guys are in the black before they even snap the first. Especially ball. in the yeah. NFL, with the side. Well, that's the, the thing. Before they, they throw, snap the first ball, they're they in the throw, black. You got you got three networks there. I can't remember the. the NFL football is on all the time. And that's the whole game. It goes tw- it's, it, it's talked about uh, 12 months of the year, 20 and, every day of the week. Anyways, guys, another, uh, another interesting week on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour has come to an end. We've got, to, we've got to head off the air. Once again, it's Mother's Day. Uh, wish your mother a happy Mother's Day if you're, have, if you're still able to do so and you're fortunate enough to still have your mother here. Um, and to all our listeners, have a happy and safe week. We'll be back again next Monday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.